Hello everyone, you are now listening to Let's Talk Trees, a podcast brought to you by Safari Craft. Today we are going to have a guest host, Fabia Ricci from CGIR program on forest, trees, and agroforestry, who will discuss a joint publication from FDA and UNFAO titled Addressing Forestry and Agroforestry in National Adaptation Plans. So without further ado, over to you Fabio. Thanks, Angie. So in late 2020, FAO and FDA co-published a report called Addressing Forestry and Agroforestry in National Adaptation Plans, a book that aims to support actors in the forestry and agroforestry sector to prepare national adaptation plans in ministries and on the ground. To find out more about this extremely important publication, today I'm interviewing the lead authors, Alexander Maybeck from FDA and Julia Wolf from FAO. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, our first question is, let's try to put this report into context. Uh, why forestry and agroforestry? How can they help countries cope with, with climate change? And so what is, what is the rationale behind this book? So when, when people talk about uh, forest and, and climate change, we very spontaneously think about mitigation and the role that forests play to reduce climate change impact by, by absorbing carbon from the atmosphere. But forests and, and trees in general have also a crucial role to play for adaptation, their own adaptation first, which is a, a condition for forests to be able to mitigate climate change, and also to contribute to the adaptation of other sectors. Agriculture, first crops, livestock, but, but also all economic activities, reducing heat effects in, in cities, protecting uh, human activities from floods. So there, there are plenty of ways by which forest and trees uh, can contribute to, to adaptation. Thank you. Julia? Um, yeah, if you want to have a number in terms of how many people are concerned in the world and, and depend on, on forests, we, we have this figure we, we work with, it's 1.6 billion people. So that's almost 25% of the world's population depend on their livelihoods with regards to forest. And it's important also to look at forests and, and trees, not only in the rural space, it's actually increasingly important for cities. Um, I mean, there's a whole discussion on smart cities, greening the cities. And I guess now with COVID, we all experience it also at a personal level, how important parks, trees and streets are um, in, in terms of having like a good um, atmosphere in, in the cities, uh, but also for the resilience and livelihoods. Thank yes, you. Thanks to you. I think you raised a really interesting point because we often we talk about adaptation in terms of climate change, but nowadays, of course, high on the agenda is adaptation to the pandemic and to future possible pandemics. And we know that uh, reducing the buffer that trees and the wildlife allow in terms of the proximity to cities and, and peri-urban areas is absolutely fundamental. So my next question is, who should read this book and why did you feel there was a absolute need to write and publish this this report okay thanks for that question basically it's for planners it's for national 
decision makers that are working in, in a multiple uh, set of ministries. So it can be the Ministry of Rural Development, it can be the Ministry of Agriculture who looks into forests or landscapes, it can be in some countries have Ministry of Biodiversity nowadays, it can be human settlements, it can be disaster risk. So, so it's not just one sector ministry, it's actually also um, a, a guidebook that shows entry points, no? because there's a lot of sector guides out, like very specific on forestry, non-timber forest products. But what often is missing is really the explanation of the linkage to subnational and national planning. It's really important for the climate agenda that the planning is aligned. You know, so you have your national development agenda or the agriculture sector agenda, the forest sector agenda, but they need to come together because you look at a common asset basis in, in each country, right? And that's what the, the guidebook uh, aims to do is really to speak to the people who may not be the, the very subject matter, but they actually have responsibility to allocate um, even national domestic budgets to this, this concern and also to, to have um, an opportunity to pick up some of the topics and then discuss it in their consultations. Thank you. Alexandre, can you also elaborate and perhaps give some examples of how countries are able to work on these cross-cutting issues? A lot of people, to an extent or another, are forest dependent because forests have effects quite far from where they are. So this was the first important publication that was uh, also a building block of, of the publication recently launched on how to integrate forestry and agroforestry in national adaptation plans. In fact, national adaptation plans are the main vehicle for a country to identify vulnerabilities and construct policies and measures to address these vulnerabilities to climate change in the middle and long term. And so the, the object of, of this publication is to support people preparing national adaptation plans in ministries and on the ground on how to integrate forests and trees in a very broad sense. So it is addressed both to the forestry and agroforestry communities so that they can better be part of this broad national process and also other sectors to help them identify where forest entries can be of use for the adaptation of their own sector. For instance, uh, for people in charge of the water component of the national adaptation plan, where and how should trees or could trees contribute to better regulation of water flows, including atmospheric flows, uh, and, and to enhance quality of water, how they can prevent floods. Also uh, for crop and livestock sectors, we have an, an interesting example that, that is shown in the publication on how, for instance, in Uruguay was organized a stakeholder dialogue in the livestock sector 
and they identified the need for more shade in the fields as essential um, for the quality and well-being of, of, li of livestock, especially with increased risks of, of heat waves, just as an example. So the publication is really very much about how to support these processes of involvement of different sectors, different stakeholders, different value chains into the whole national process. What we propose to do is not to have a separate process. It is to support a process inside the sector, including inside each subsector. You can have cocoa value chain in a country having its own reflection about how to adapt to climate change or the rubber sector having the same kind of reflection and how it can link to other processes, which can be by sector, by type of problems or sub at subnational level, all fitting into the whole national adaptation plan process. So it's really how to help creating these links in order to be able to address cross-cutting issues. Uh, because what is very clear now, we are beginning to have some background on, on how adaptation processes go in countries. And very clearly, there are steps, as you said, you, you need to think in your own sector. And then what is more difficult is to create the cross-sectoral, intersectoral uh, links. This is something that it, it was very interesting because this publication is also part of the so-called NAPAG program, which was an FAO UNDP program um, involving various countries in order to support the integration of the agricultural sectors in the FAO sense, which is crop, livestock, forestry, fisheries and aquaculture into the national uh, process and already having appropriate links between forestry and crops and livestock and fisheries takes some construction of, of places to dialogue and identification of common issues uh, like management of land, management of water, but also some competition in the use of these resources and, and how the, the, the various actors need to discuss together to, to have a kind of long-term perspective on, on how to achieve adaptation in the sector or and in the landscape. Um, so that's really the ambition of this publication is to help the actors getting together to discuss issues in such a way that they can imagine a, a kind of shared and common adapted future. Thank you. I'll be back to that point. But now, Julia, why are national adaptation plans such an important instrument and what's their added value? Um, so what, what countries are had decided in Cancun in 2010 
was actually to move from, from a more uh, ad hoc planning process, which was called NAPAS in the past, that was decided in 2001. There was the National Adaptation Programs of Action, which was really short-term measures. They said, okay, we actually need to have a medium to long-term lens. So countries are decided themselves that they need to look to 2050, like two, three generations ahead in terms of choosing the preventive net measures at the national level, but then also at the local subnational level, because this is where adaptation really gets complicated because, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've heard many times, adaptation need to be locally adapted, right? Um, so so that's, that's what the plan tries um, to do, like the national adaptation plan to really, from a bottom-up approach, really um, looks at uh, sub-national planning, look at the, the, the priorities and also then aggregate it to something that is a national adaptation plan that sets out both targets and, um, and indicators to measure progress. And uh, so the UNFC has, for example, there's a website where countries propose their national adaptation plans so you can see what they, they feature. So countries decide in their own way how they frame national adaptation plans in the countries. So now what is interesting is that there's this other process under the Paris Agreement, which is called national determined contributions. And this is very important to understand because the, the national adaptation plan is more like an operational plan, which suppose has a budget and, and a time frame of implementation. And we also talk about implementation of NDCs. They also set out and mostly developing countries, adaptation priorities. And, and this is where kind of the two instruments that were created by parties under the UNFC framework need to come to, together. They need to be aligned because otherwise you have like two processes, right? Um, and the NDCs, they were more born as mitigation goals, but because of the Paris Agreement, developing countries decided that they also want to really flag adaptation priorities, which is, 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 is important huh? because it's always a balance when you think about climate change. And in particular for agriculture and forestry, it's almost impossible to delink mitigation and adaptation targets because, and, and there we enter the discussion of co-benefits, right? So, so because we, we, we work with nature, there's always mitigation and adaptation considerations. So this is why it makes sense that both adaptation mitigation sit in NDC and that there's an operation plan, which is called National Adaptation Plan, which is a medium to longer term planning in countries. Thank you, Julia. Now, Alexander, how can governments be sure that they're creating an enabling environment for a successful establishment and deployment of a NAP? What are the implementation strategies that they can follow? So uh, among the reasons uh, where why we were so interested in that project and that publication is that very clearly, when you think about adaptation of forestry and agroforestry and trees, you, you need to have a long-term perspective and you need the institutions, the legal frameworks and the enabling environment to achieve that. And uh, taking the example of agroforestry, for instance, in, in many countries, agroforestry is dealt with by the administration in charge of agriculture, crop and livestock. They, they do not necessarily have the long-term perspective, the understanding 
of what it takes to plant and grow a tree, the need for secure tenure on the long term, the need uh, to dispose of the right genetic resources, the, the needs to sometimes compensate for income foregone for a period and, and, and things like that. So in fact, um, and, and one critical issue, for instance, we, we, we made a research asking tropical forest managers if they were concerned about climate change. And of course, most of them say yes. And, but when we ask them, do you plan to do something to adapt to climate change? They say no, because their bigger concern is deforestation. And they are not going to invest in adaptation because they are not sure that the area where they're working will still be forest in 10 years. So this is just an example of some of the things that are indispensable if you want to begin thinking about adaptation of a forest. You need to know if it will still be a forest in the future. The NAP, because it is a national process involving all economic sectors, all ministries, and with a mid and long-term perspective is really the place where you can have this broad reflection on what it needs to think medium long-term. And, and for instance, now there is more and more talking about nature-based solutions, which is especially of interest for adaptation, for instance, to protect coastal areas, instead of uh, building a huge artificial wall, okay, let's improve the mangroves and restore them and have coastal forests. But if you want foresters and local populations to do that in order to protect a city, they need to be able to say, this is what I need in order to be able to provide you this nature-based solution. So, we, we really believe that the NAP, which by the way, is, is the main implementation mechanism for the adaptation part of NDCs, can be the place to have these broad discussions on and coordination in order to have a coherent perspective on what you want to do and what is needed by the different categories of actors in order to be able to play their role for the global adaptation of an area or of a country. Okay, that's that's really clear. Um, one question, uh, maybe is just coming up. What what would you say would be the main difference between a NAP dealing with the forestry sector and a NAP which also integrates agroforestry in in the whole vision? This is an interesting thing because. You see, you're still thinking with kind of separate adaptation plans, you know, by sector. And definitely when you think about adaptation, you need to first think about your own adaptation. You know, it's like when you're an airplane, no? first think about yourself before giving the mask to, to children. So it's a bit the same way. But ultimately, all these individual reflections need to be part of the NAP. There is one NAP, the National Adaptation Plan. And this is very critical because uh, 
when you think about, take the example of water, you know, most of the sectors need water for their own adaptation. And so if they think only about their adaptation, they take all the water for themselves. At one stage, you need to share and to see how you manage this resource. So I think there is no real difference, I would say, between the way you have to think the adaptation of forestry and the way you think the adaptation of agroforestry or agroforestry as part of agriculture, because there are common issues when you think about a tree. However, the, the main difference I, I would say is when you look at the adaptation of ecosystems that are less anthropized, natural forests, and uh, agroecosystems that are more managed, plantations, uh, agriculture in general. So there are differences. However, and, and I think this is why uh, thinking adaptation in the forestry and agroforestry sector is really fascinating. It's because uh, in agriculture, these last years, we have tended to try to reduce as much as possible the unknown, you know, to manage really everything, control everything in the field. What we're learning with climate change is that there will be more and more things that you don't totally master. There will be more variability, more unknowns. We know much more now about what's going to happen in terms of climate change, but it cannot tell you exactly what's going to happen precisely at this place every year, because one of the biggest change introduced by climate change is increased variability. And the experience of foresters who are used to manage the unknown for quite a long time is extremely useful. It, it, it helps to think systems that have built in themselves some resilience, you know, and, and uh, giving more space to ecosystem services to, to build resilience and, and to give more capacity to resist to changes. A, a good example is uh, the fact that the trees, because they will be in place for a longer time than an annual crop, have themselves mechanisms to go and take water deeper in the soil to survive. But by doing so, they also restitute this water around them. So having trees in a field is an important way to have more carbon in the soil, to have root systems going to take the moisture, to uh, reduce that heat, um, the, the effect of violent and, and sudden heat waves, because to, they are buffering a, a lot of these changes. Thank you, Alexandre. Anything else to add? to wrap up this podcast. Um, we really appreciated the um, collaboration with FTA of the CG system. Um, it, it's really the way forward. Um, there need to be more bridging between research um, groups and policy and, and technical organizations such as FAO.
um, I think there's a lot of um, like dimension and to, to gain from because uh, policy advice needs to be evidence-based. And I guess for me, it's also one of the lessons learned coming out of COVID that we need to really um, do advocacy, dialoguing with countries where they are, what are the gaps, how we can help to create national ownership. They can only drive this. We can only be there. We are service providers. No? Um, and, and this is why it's, it's maybe more interesting for them to talk to multiple agencies coming together in an advisory role rather than working with single agencies. So that's why, I mean, we believe a lot in partnership. That's my motivation on a daily basis is to really um, try to understand how more ownership and, and commitment can be created at a national level. Well, aiming for a global adaptation uh, seems there is some work to do. Yeah, and it is huge. It's, it's, it's not easy. And you also need to have a lot of buy-in from the the kind of planners to actually wanting to go there because it may conflict with a lot of national interests with, with privileges with certain um, allocation of resources in countries so so I think um, and maybe that's my last point um, I, I mean there's a lot of technical guidance out there we have a lot of climate data but I think the principal matters we need to look at is really climate finance and governance no um, because Ultimately, the ownership question and the, the possibility of a country to go beyond business as usual is too linked, is linked very strongly to power relations and governance questions in countries. Absolutely. I totally agree. So thank you very much for this excellent interview. You raised so many interesting points. I think whoever is going to listen to this is just going to be extremely inspired um, and a lot of uh, information where to find this information um, so let me just recall that um, FAO and FDA have published this uh, report in November 2020 on national adaptation plans and how to include forestry and agroforestry in the NAPS uh, you can find them on the FAO website there is also a mirror uh, link on the FDA website so we encourage everybody to go there and I thank you very much